Uhuru, you're listening to Black Power 96.3, WBPULP, St. Petersburg. And you're tuned in to Reparations in Action, White Lies Shattered. My name is Jamie Simpson. I am the host of Reparations in Action, also known as White Lies Shattered. And we're coming to you today live from the Black Power 96 studios with a very, very urgent broadcast. Um, We are today responding to the vicious FBI attacks on seven different Uhuru movement locations, including the beloved Uhuru House right here in St. Petersburg, Florida, and Black Power 96 Studios, including the home of Chairman Omali Yeshitela and his wife, Deputy Chair Onazene Yeshitela, including the home of the chair of the African People's Solidarity Committee and the co-producer and regular guest of this podcast, Penny Hess, and the home of APSC National Central Committee member Kitty Riley, including an attack on the Uhuru Solidarity Center in St. Louis, Missouri, which is also the home of Uhuru Solidarity Movement Chair and White Lies Shattered co-host Jesse Neville, and also the home of Uhuru Solidarity Movement Vice Chair Amanda Carlozzi, also interrogated, searched in a pre-dawn raid happening at the same time here in St. Petersburg was the African People's Socialist Party's Department of Agitprop Director, Akile Anayi, who is here with us today in St. Petersburg, Florida. So White Lies Shattered, also known as Reparations in Action, is a program of white solidarity with black power. Currently, we are in a, a podcast series exposing the insidious lies we learn as white or European people about the nature and origin of America and the current social system. And we believe reparations to African people is the key question of our times and is one that demands action on the part of European or white people. We want to salute Chairman Omalia Shatella. We want to say hands off. Chairman Omali Eshetela, hands off the Uhuru movement, hands off the African People's Socialist Party, which we salute for leading the African Revolution. And we salute Chairman Omali Eshetela for developing the theory of African internationalism, the theory and worldview of the African working class that guides the African Revolution, in which we credit for all of the understandings and analysis provided on this podcast, this radio show. As always, we'd like to salute this radio station, Black Power 96, which was attacked by the FBI just this past Friday, and where uh, this show is aired and produced weekly. We want to salute station manager Eddie Maltzby, who is engineering this show today. Black Power 96 is not just explaining the world, but changing it. You can get the app for Black Power 96 on Google Play or on the Apple App Store and listen wherever you are located in the world. Today's episode is called Hands Off the Uhuru Movement, and we are honored to be joined by the African People's Socialist Party's Department of Agitation and Propaganda director Akile Anayi, a comrade who had firsthand experience of these vicious, these violent FBI attacks, these raids, and has been on the front line of the party's response. So I want to say uhuru and welcome to you, director Akile. Uhuru, Jamie. Uhuru, thank you for having me. I'm very excited. Yes, it's fantastic to be here with you today. Can we begin, would you Tell us what you experienced last Friday, July 29th, early in the morning here in St. Petersburg, and what you understand was also happening here at the Uhuru House 
the Black Power 96 Studios, the home of Chairman Omali Yashatella, Deputy Chair Onazene Yashatella, Chairwoman Penny Hess, and uh, at the Uhuru Solidarity Center in St. Louis, and tell us a little bit of your understanding of its significance. Mm-hmm. So on Friday, July 29th, I got these calls from a number I didn't recognize, and it was six in the morning. So I didn't answer because I didn't know who it was. Um, and then I hear this knock on the door and the police, it's the St. Petersburg police at this point that I am meeting at the door to say that my car had been broken into. And so um, at the same time, I believe Eddie, Mr. Eddie, the station manager of Black Prairie 6 was calling me and he was saying, I don't know if this is a prank call, but somebody said they're with the FBI. And so as I'm go as I'm going down the stairs and I'm getting, you know, ready to deal with, you know, my car, I'm like, I'm, you know, I'm just mind boggled. I'm like, you know, it's early in the morning. I'm, I, I'm not, I'm like, this is what a crazy coincidence. So I go outside and I'm greeted by uh, a St. Pete police officer and he tells me to check my car to see if anything is missing. So I'm, you know, in my car, I'm checking around for it or, you know, whatever evidence I would need to uh, say that something's been stolen or something. And then as I'm coming out of the car, now I see rounding the corner are these two FBI agents and they have the FBI vests on. And that's when I realized, okay, this is not about a, like uh, my car being broken into. And, you know, then I, that's when I realized they had lied to me to get me out of the house um, <clears throat> versus telling me, you know, we're at the FBI, we have a search warrant for you or anything. They, they lied, lured me out of the home, you know, with this lie. And, um, you know, at this time I'm not, they don't tell me anything as to why this is happening. They're just saying, we need your phone, we need your laptop, and we need to search your car. And they say, we have a warrant. We have a warrant. They didn't produce the warrant. So, um, you know, of course, I, I give them my car keys. You know, I hand over my phone. At the time, my laptop um, was in the house. And uh, my fiancé was standing, you know, outside. They wouldn't let him come near me. And so there was this armed FBI agent, like a shotgun, uh, I think, uh, at the door with him. And so they told him to go upstairs, get my laptop. And they followed him into the house with this gun to, you know, uh, get the laptop. So, um, I, so my, my cell phone, my laptop were taken, uh, bank deposit bags for several institutions were taken, uh, from my possession. Um, and at this time they still hadn't produced the warrant. They pulled me to the side. And, um, at this point, my uh, father and tomboy had arrived and, my phone is gone. All I know is we need to start making phone calls. So this is what we're, you know, we're trained to do. So I, you know, I start calling around, call the necessary forces, and I realize I can't reach forces like the chairman. And um, this is something in our brains that's ringing. Okay, this is happening some elsewhere. And we were trying to call as a preventative, but they had attacked us all at the same time. Mm-hmm. So here in St. Petersburg, they attacked us at 6 a.m. And in, in Central Time in St. Louis, it's 5 a.m. in the morning. And that's significant because also in the Midwest region in Chicago, Illinois, in 1969, at 4 a.m., the FBI, you know, um, uh, went into the home of, of uh, Fred Hampton and Mark Clark, and they gunned them down. And they killed Fred Hampton uh, while he was laying in bed 
sleeping next to his pregnant wife. And they do this because the expectation is that we will be defenseless at this time of mm-hmm. mourning. So um, <clears throat> they don't know we'd be up at the crack of dawn, but um, this is something that, you know, they did with the uh, uh, understanding that we would, you know, be caught off guard and, and be totally defenseless. So in, in St. Louis, they do this at 5 a.m. where they killed Fred Hampton at 4 a.m. You know, so the only difference in the situation is that it was an hour later in which they attacked um, the chairman and these other forces in St. Louis. And so at the same time this is happening, we're trying to, you know, make calls and get a sense of what the situation is like and, and, and trying to reach forces to prepare them for whatever's coming down, even though it's happening at the same time. Um, we are getting, we have an understanding, um, you know, uh, Chimaranga, who's one of the members and leaders in this party, um, is letting us know that the St. Peter Huru house is being raided as well. And, um, this is something they just, you know, they bursted, you know, through the doors, there's footage. You can see like 30 FBI agents, like lining up against the Uhuru house wall and breaking in, busting in all the doors right here in this studio, Black Pro 96 radio, which is a station that's funded by the community. And everything Mm -hmm. that this station has is something that the community has contributed to. So when they destroyed and bust open those doors, what they did was they, you know, desecrated this, this station that the people build and that the people put their hands on and are responsible for. So this is what they're attacking at the time that they're breaking down doors. They're covering up security cameras. So we are we get a, a little bit of the footage before they start taping the cameras so we can't see. Mm. And a similar situation is happening in, in uh, St. Louis, except there at the chairman's residence, they're using flashbang grenades, throwing them into the house, and also over a loudspeaker telling people to come come out with their hands up. And this is... A, a situation also where they are attempting to at- intimidate mm-hmm. um, the African community. And you have the situation where this, the leader of the African People's Socialist Party, the Uhuru Movement, a recognized leader, Chairman Amalia Chatella in St. Louis, in an African community, is and Deputy Chair Onazine Chatella, also highly visible face in St. Louis, who is the architect of the Black Power Blueprint, these economic projects that have transformed the African community, this impoverished African community, not, something that the government in St. Louis has not done. It has contributed to sucking the community dry. But Deputy Chair is there and has been a part of the process of rehabilitating the African community and putting economic power in our hands. So these two very visible, recognized forces and strategic leaders of our movement are having flashbang grenades, drones sent into their homes, and uh, uh, lasers pointed at the chairman's person, which lets the chairman and everybody know that we, you know, intend to kill if things do not go our way. They force them out of the house. They handcuff them, tell them to sit on the curb. And of course, this is a part of humiliating, demoralizing African people right in, in the middle of the African community. And of course, the chairman and deputy chair refuse to do this. And simultaneously, this attack is being made on the Uhuru Solidarity Center on the south side of St. Louis, which is a white community where we organize as a part of the African People's Solidarity Committee and Uhuru Solidarity Movement. And Chair Jesse Neville and Amanda Carlozzi are met with the same, you know, flashbang grenades, assault rifles pointed at them, you know, forced to come out of the home. Kitty Riley, Penny Hess, chair of the African People's Solidarity Committee, experiencing the same thing. Also want to mention that here in St. Pete, they also raided the chairman's home here. The chairman has a home here and they raided his home Wow, where he's not, he's not here, you know, mm-hmm. and he's in, you know, in St. Louis. Um, so, uh, there, there are multiple uh, things that are happening here and this is a very calculated, uh, attack. 
And again, they did it at the same time. So we would not have the ability to strategize and reach each other. And, um, yeah, it was, I mean, it was this vicious show of, you know, military might, which is the only thing that this government even has for itself anymore because it's losing grip on every other aspect, politically, economically, and ideologically. All it has really at this point is its military might that they're trying to exercise and, um, intimidate, you know, Africans into this position of fear and things like that. So this is what happened on uh, July 29th. And then I just want to say this point. Uh, before I let you get to the next question, that the attack continued. The attack continued in the form of the media. Mm-hmm. Because, and, and, and similar, we have a same uh, saying that they kill you twice. When they kill an African, they kill you twice. They kill you, physically kill you, and then they kill you in the media. They slander you. And, you know, without even needing a word or position from us, they took whatever the FBI gave as an explanation for this attack, and they ran with that, and they have promoted this slander, and they have stated everything as if it was true, the worst journalism I've ever seen in my life. And, you know, attack this movement has discredited everything that this party, this movement has done for our community and our leaders, and, you know, have have tried to condense our 50-year history into a seven-year span. And so this is, uh, you know, what the media has also, I just want to say this because they collaborate they collaborate with the state. They are mouthpieces for the state. And this is the significance of institutions like Black Power 96 Radio. Because if it was not for an institution like this, we would not be able to talk to our own community about what's happening. So the only uh, source of information that we could rely on is whatever Tampa Bay Slime is putting out, whatever Fox 13 is putting out, all these institutions that um, aim to slander and discredit and undermine everything that we do. So we have to, you know, when our institutions and stuff come under attack, we have to see that as an attack on being uh, taking away our voice, mm-hmm. our ability to communicate with one another. It has mm-hmm. to be very serious um, in terms of you know how we see uh, what has happened uh, to this movement. So I just wanted to say those things. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Um, and I think it, it would be important to say for people listening who haven't seen this, like when we talk about when, when you say FBI agents, dozens of FBI agents pouring into the Uhuru house, mm-hmm. breaking down the door. We're not talking about people in suits. Or uh, right. you know, windbreakers. We're talking about people in full tactical gear yeah. yes. with helmets, with automatic rifles, right? Vehicles, mm-hmm. armored vehicles, these kinds of things. And it was a nine-hour raid here in St. Pete, and they had the whole street, you know, the whole thing blocked off. You couldn't even drive straight down 18th Avenue if you wanted to, mm-hmm. Tyron Lewis Avenue. It was all blocked off, and it was this huge show. It was like that's what part of it is. It's this huge show of this military might and they have tents up. So you, you can't see what it is that they're taking, what they're stealing from this institution. Mm-hmm. You can't see all the, uh, the damage and things that they're doing to this building. You can't, you, they had all this stuff that was up. So you're right. It wasn't just some, you know, guys in suits setting up some computers or something. It was a whole operation, a whole base they set up and they had all their guns and all these things right there in the middle of the African community, right in the middle of a food desert. Mm-hmm. They have this situation going on. So, yeah, that was an important note. Yeah, this this is an, a, a stunning moment in the history of, of the African liberation uh, movement. I wanted to, to ask you if you wanted to say more about this uh, media uh, attack, I'll mm-hmm. say. I was going to say media response, but I think mm-hmm. you're, you're absolutely correct. It, it is part of the attack. Yes. Uh, how have you been engaging with them? And can you talk about, I know there have been two press conferences uh, one on July 29th and, and one was, was just yesterday. Uh, can, can you say a little bit more about that? Yeah. I mean, 
we did, you know, our own press conferences and we called our own press conferences because one, we recognize that even though the media will say and tell the story exactly as they need to to support um, the existing narrative that attacks our movement, that there are people, you know, there are like uh, like certain types of people that watch the news. People that there are uh, people who watch the news to get a sense of what's going on, to stay updated with the world, and there are people who believe the news. And you know, we are talking to people who are seeing what. To, to reach to to reach the people who want to know what's going on and can see past the lies that are being espoused by uh, uh, these media institutions, mm-hmm. um, the, the media you know might as well be the police themselves. You know they have different weapons. You know they got recording devices and pins and and, paper and pads and things like that. But they play a fundamental role um, because when we talk about a war. You talk about a war with, you know, guns and you talk about a war with, you know, military, but you also talk about a war of ideas. And when you control ideas and the institutions that get to put those ideas out, you know, you're able to control, you know, how people see and view the world and and then move them in action. And this is why when we talk about the importance of theory and how we have our own African internationalism, which explains the world, explains how we move, what we do. It dictates every motion that we make, because if we're informed by the need to overturn the system and the need to be free that's how we move and we don't move against those interests but if you have this situation where the colonial uh, state put projects itself and its ideas forward in the form of these institutions and, and and many more but in the form of these institutions to be able to lock people into a set of ideas and the problem here is that the whole system is 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 in a total state of disarray mm-hmm. and people are not believing in the same old things that have you know been told to them in the past that's why we have a podcast called white lies shattered because we are in the process of undoing all of the lies that have ever been told um, by white people about who they are how they got to be in this place in the world and why africans live in this condition that we live in as compared to white people so all the ideas that have ever been told about that is being totally undone and it's not something that we just have to say but it's something that reality supports now Mm because white people can look out their doors and say the world is is different and i you know don't I don't have the same significance as I thought I did and what I was told. So anyway, I'm, I'm getting a little farther. But the point is, this, the media, it, we have to understand, it's not our friend. It's not our friend. They, talk, they can talk to us nice or they can be as vicious as some of the reporters we've dealt with. Um, but they're not your friend. Mm-hmm. And they, they try to keep you locked in to a certain part of this discussion. They want to fight it on their terms. They want you to deal with and they want us to defend ourselves against whatever accusations the FBI made. And we are we got to bring it back to what this FBI this attack was about. FBI said this is what this they they gave this explanation It's a poor explanation for what it is they did to our movement, what they did to our community, and they want us to to fight the slander. We don't fight slander. We don't. Why, why would you fight a lie told against you? Mm-hmm. You bring the struggle to what it really is. And they attack this movement because we are the vanguard of the African Revolution in this country and around the world. That's what the African People's Socialist Party is because they didn't attack just any organization. There's a lot of so-called black organizations out there. They attack the African People's Socialist Party. It's a critical time in this in, in the moment in history with the crisis of the social system. And the African People's Socialist Party has advanced all of these critical questions, has made manifest our theory in the real world. And that is something that is a great threat to the existence of the social order. So this is why our party was attacked, not whatever bogus they're saying. Mm, yeah. And I, I, I guess I, w- I would ask you next to 
speak a little bit more to that point of why this happened, the party's understanding mm -hmm. of this attack. And it, is this about more than this organization? It absolutely was an attack mm -hmm. on the African People's uh, Socialist Party. But, but can you say what else it, it, it was about and, and how it's connected to a, a history of mm -hmm. FBI attacks on black power organizations and individuals such as Fred Hampton of the Black Panther Party, Malcolm X, uh, even mm -hmm. even Dr. Martin Luther King. Yes, and 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 to answer that question, I want to say that because this we represent a continuum of those forces that were assassinated, mm -hmm. that were imprisoned in the 1960s. The African People's Socialist Party in our 50-year history, that there is a concentration of this African liberation struggle in our history. So we carry the legacy of forces like Marcus Garvey, who came under similar assault and slander. And the same is true for the Black Panther Party, Patrice Lumumba, Kwame Nkrumah, Thomas Sankara, all these forces throughout the world who had attempted to advance our struggle. We carry that history within the fabric of our party. And it was our party that, and Chairman Amalia Shatella, who in 1972, but even before then, recognized this contradiction where Africans live in these conditions and refuse to, to settle for any explanation that was given for why we have to live like this and said, I'm going to fight. And he formed the African People's Socialist Party, recognizing that the African working class needed our own revolutionary party. And he looked at what was happening in the 60s, experienced the counterinsurgency of the 1960s, and then constantly summed up what were the shortcomings, what, where did we fail, where, why did this counterinsurgency totally, you know, wipe out the black power movement of the 1960s and then took these, you know, these assessments and applied it to, you know, our own tactics and strategy of, of, of how to, you know, uh, build, revive the black revolution and to complete it. That's the task. And it's the African People's Socialist Party that assumed that task. And that's important to say, because there, again, are organizations that are out there. Some of them do great work. And but the task of making a revolution, that is a task that almost seems, you know, some people might say insurmountable or something like that. That's a huge task and responsibility to say, I'm going to take on making the revolution. And that is what the African People's Socialist Party has done. And not only this, but we have gone everywhere, you know, in this world to organize and extend this struggle to, you know, every, everywhere Africans are dispersed, we are there and we are organizing and bringing them into this process. We have advanced a really important question. When Chairman developed this theory of African internationalism, he was able to explain the, the basis for the, the conditions of our existence as African people and for the rest of the world to say that we are dominated by colonialism, bump a racism, bump ideas in white people's heads. This is not the thing that keeps us oppressed. It is a system of colonialism, a foreign and hostile domination by an alien power for the, you know, for the extraction and exploitation of our resources. That's what we live under. And it's backed up by a military. It's backed up by a colonial state. Um, and, and, and it takes, and so we can't move how we want to or in our own interest because Every time this state is going to come in and encircle us, kill us and whatever else it needs to, to prevent us from being able to be free.
But the African People's Socialist Party has never relented in, in, in this understanding and has always pushed forward to say, this is, you know, what is required for African people to see freedom. We've never bent backwards on that. Never, no matter how dangerous it ever seemed or anything like that, we never went back on this. Okay, okay, a little bit of reform here. Let's just try to see what we can get here. No, this, the strategy has always been to make the revolution to totally transform the conditions of African people to free Africa and African people and to totally annihilate this relationship that we have with the colonizer. That has been the whole struggle. And now, after 50 years, people in the world can say colonialism is the problem. Colonialism is the problem. They wanted, they, you know, they kept us trapped in this discussion of racism and anti-racist classes and all this kind of stuff. And now people are talking about colonialism. And now we're saying the colonial mode of production, right? So people can understand how things in the world even come to be and how white people get to live this life, you know, of wealth and experiences, social and economic wealth and how that requires the uh the oppression and subjugation of africans and other peoples around the world so we've talked about a whole economy now that's born of this and all of this is problematic but it hasn't been just talk it's been due and it's the fact that the african people's social party summed this up and then we, we're doing something about it so we have the party we have the theory and then we have these programs and institutions and these campaigns that actually carry it out in the real world and it wins people more and more all the time to what it is that we're doing mm -hmm. and so the greater this grows the more of a threat it becomes and this is a political attack that has been made against our movement through their law through their yeah. quote-unquote law mm -hmm. this is the uh, political attack being made through so-called law against our party and that's what we have to understand yeah 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 i i really agree with that you know um when this first happened i i immediately thought of things like the black power blueprint i thought of the african people's education and defense fund the the nonprofit that guides this radio station i thought of the doula project mm -hmm. the 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 uhuru wakulea if i'm mm -hmm. pronouncing the african women's health center that's being developed out in st louis the incredible advances that have been made in these dual and contending uh projects of of an anti-colonial african working class economy that is just just kicking butt right yes. now you know around the world here in in st petersburg and in st louis missouri uh so i, I was wondering if, if you could talk about people's response mm -hmm. to this attack and and if there's been an outpouring of, of support for these programs and, and for the party absolutely um you know i think that in times like this uh you know where our movement comes under these blatant more blatant assaults we see this flood of support you know pouring in people that and and the thing about the party and the movement is that the movement is always bigger than any membership you know, database or numbers or anything like that. It's an extension of influence in the world. And that's what we've been able to do. And as I mentioned, we've gone everywhere. You know, we have organization on virtually every continent, you know, on the planet. And, and so wherever there's an African internationalist, there's a seed there. And, you know, it just sprouts. And so we have, you know, these forces that have just, you know, even some people we may not have heard of from years or anything like that are coming out to say, you know, one, to denounce this attack and, you know, donating and all these kinds of things to our work that we do. 
Um, and they can see through the lies, the bogus. And, and also they can see the, how this exposes the social system itself and the, the, the weakness, the naked you know, exposure of this system and the, and the, the links that it will go to uh, to preserve itself. So we've you know, gotten this flood of support uh, from people, you know, lots of statements from organizations, solidarity statements and things like that. People are doing their own demonstrations and press conferences you know, uh, regarding this. And that's really important. People should keep that up um, because you know, one of the things we want to, uh, we want to make the colonial state feel this, you know, mm-hmm. in terms of what, what it is that they've done and that they know when they touch us, they touch an army of people who will not stand for it. And so um, this is some, you know, some things that we've been getting in, but also they didn't stop anything. I mean, that same day, Friday, that they attacked us, we were, were we were having a doula training. That, that Later that day, we were supposed to be having a doula training, tra- training 20 African women on, you know, how to be a certified doula so that they can be able to work in these institutions, the Uhuru Wakule, and all these things so that we could be able to have these skills in our community. They didn't stop that. That training and, um, uh, happened, and it was successful. And at the same time, you know, here, we have a situation where on uh, Wednesday, we raised up our brand new red, black, and green flag that had been torched in another uh, uh, colonial attack against our movement. When, they, when somebody came in broad daylight with a military flame, uh, military-grade flamethrower and burned our flag. Now, mind you, the FBI didn't investigate that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we we're able to raise up the new red, black and green flag. And we got that flag because people donated after they saw what happened to us um, on the, that was July 2nd. So mm-hmm. people donated so that we cannot get not just one flag, two, two new flags. So, you know, we have people donating to the dam, you know, so that we can raise money to repair damages and all these kinds of things and people joining left and right you know, into this organization. So if they think they stopped anything, you know, it's, it's, it's quite the opposite. What they do is they just open this door wide open. Um, they expose themselves in the process. And, you know, we're able to uh, reap all the benefit of that. And that's what the party has always done in the face of the attack. We do not retreat. We build. Yeah. And that's what we're doing. Yeah. And, you know, speaking of that kind of support, I just want to make an announcement uh, as as we said earlier, you know the Black Power ninety six station here at the Uhur House, the the studio itself was damaged, mm-hmm. doors broken in, um, and I just want to let people know that if you're interested in contributing to repair the damage done at this studio, you can go to blackpower ninety six dot org slash donate. That's blackpower ninety six dot org slash donate and you can write in in the in the comment section hands off as an indication that this donation is to repair the damages done by the violent FBI raid here at Black Power 96. We'll make sure that those those funds will get to that to to repair this studio. So I did I did just want to announce that and um you know we're, we're dialectical materialists, mm-hmm. right? In in this movement everything is interconnected. Right. right. Whether it's the, the, the flag burning mm-hmm. uh, that, that happened by a man with a military grade flamethrower. And I want to you know, just say that again, yeah. that, that happened on July 2nd. Yeah. Uh, very targeted te- you know, attack yeah. on this movement in broad daylight, 10 a.m. July 2nd. And he was released on nothing but a, what was it? Criminal, criminal mischief. mischief. Yeah. yeah. Nothing but graffiti <laughs> is what they said. Just outrageous. Um, seems connected to me. I, but I, I was wondering if you could speak 
even to that, but also to the question of what's going on in the world mm -hmm. and how the, the world situation is, is connected to this attack. I mean, when we look at the way in which the colonial state is acting right now, that is a statement of the, the crisis of this social system, mm -hmm. period. And, you know, the fact that if they didn't feel threatened, attacks like this wouldn't be necessary. And <clears throat> right now they have, they have several things uh, facing them. One, and the primary thing, I think this, um, especially for us, is that the colonial mode of production and the way in which the world functions through the process of colonialism, slavery, genocide, that whole process is, is coming undone. It's totally shattered. Like the chairman says, it's resting on a fault line. We're the fault line. And the thing about, you know, the fault lines, um, if I know any kind of, what is it, geology or anything like that, is that it's a real shaky, real shaky foundation to, to build anything on because it's, you know, it's, it's subject to shift and all these kinds of things and create lots of mayhem, you know, mm -hmm. for the, in the world. So this is what's happening. The, col the, the colonized forces in the world, the groups that have been historically for centuries oppressed, exploited, whose land and labor have been stolen from them. Their resources have been stolen from them. They don't have any ability to determine their own futures, to be able to uh, rest assured that they can feed, clothe, house themselves and their children. Everything about our lives has been dictated by this foreign, hostile, you know, dominating force. And those people, Africans and the colonizers of the world are refusing to live in that situation any longer and the fact that when all of these struggles are erupting throughout the world throughout africa in the caribbean in europe and in the u.s right here when all of these struggles and also the struggles of world of the world's people because you have palestine engaged in the struggle you have all kinds of forces throughout the middle east asia all of these places and the indigenous population right here in this stolen land that we are having this discussion on today these forces are rising up and refusing to be a part of to be the basis of the colonial mode of production mm -hmm. and you know a central key component of that is Africans ourselves and the fact is there's a deepening consciousness for Africans and this knowledge that or this understanding that you know everything we've understood about history up to now has all been you know told and, and reinforced through the, the point of view of the colonizer themselves and now that explanation doesn't work anymore and but they also have the problem too now of their own colonizer population and I also want to take credit for that as the African People's Socialist Party and Chairman Amalia Shatella because in 1976 the the African People's Socialist Party formed the African People's Solidarity Committee, which brought the African Revolution behind enemy lines, producing white, uh, black power in white face. And so we penetrated the colonizer population with this revolutionary theory and with a way out for the colonizer population in terms of not having to unite with its own ruling class, but to unite with anti-colonial struggles of peoples being made all throughout the world. So now it has this problem um, within, the co within the colonizer population of all the fractures, the disunity among the colonizer population itself, and including the, the real uh, reactionary, what's usually labeled as like right wing or something like that, you know, the, the react that kind of reactionary response to the revolutionary response here in the African People's uh, Socialist Party and African People's Solidarity Committee. So you have this disunity among the colonizer population. You have the fault line in which uh, the, the colonial mode of production which is shaking and coming undone. And then you also have the, uh, the contending for power in the world, you know, where the U.S. has been the, the reigning hegemon 
for all this time has been able to tell people, you know, uh, they tell you to jump and you ask how high. That's how the U.S. government has been able to move for years, but it's not able to do that anymore. It's not able to dictate people anymore. And so it's, it's having this situation where it's contending for power. And at the same time, they're contending for power from places like Russia, places like China increasingly. And this is going to be the case, you know, in the world there, the, the, the power of the U.S. government and what it's been able to exercise and know itself as all this time, it, you know, that day is coming to an end. And the ruling class itself can articulate its own demise. And it has several times. In fact, it's saying it's not cyclical. It's permanent. So it's not something, a setback, a minor temporary setback. No, this is a permanent situation. The decline of U.S. imperialism is going down and it will end. It will end. The, the state of this empire will fall. And that is inevitable. That is known. And so it is, fun, it is, it is like I said the other day, when you back into a corner, what you fight, you know, you lash out, you do everything and you forget about form. You forget everything you learn. You just fight. Mm -hmm. You just fight, you fight, you fight. But the thing about being in the corners, that's as far as you can go. Mm -hmm. And that's where this, that's where the system is right now. It's as, as far as it can go. And it's surrounded it. We have it surrounded. So this is why we see these kinds of attacks and it's full and it's violent, but it's the same kind of tactics from the 60s yeah. you know it's the same kinds of things that they've done and so they make the mistake of assuming that we're the same we're not mm -hmm. the african revolution is in a whole different place and it's equipped with its own revolutionary party in theory we are not the same we have all these different strategies it is not the same but they make the mistake of fighting this uh this fight on you know the same term so anyway that was a long way of saying that this system is in a severe state of crisis there are multiple reasons or things that are contributing to this and it's it's lashing out in the only ways that it knows how it's also employing neo-colonial forces into high positions you know, for the first time in history, something like a what was it, the Navy General or something like that is African. The the uh, the the head of Africom in Africa is African. You know, all of these these neo-colonial forces. That's what Obama was, and now you have more inst installations of these puppets right here in Saint Petersburg, Florida. Um, you know, you have all of these installations of these uh, these puppets, this white power and blackface now um, as a part of like uh, the imperialism's last ditch effort to to sustain itself. So. This is what we're seeing, and this is the, you know, that sets the tone for the attack against our movement. Yeah. Because we have a lot of responsibility for that crisis. So. Yeah, yeah, I, I really agree with that. There, um, you know, th this movement, the African Liberation Movement, is, is not in the same place, but imperialism is always fighting the last, the last battle, one. right? Yeah. And, and when you're talking about the, the, the image of the boxer in, backed into the corner, I was thinking mm -hmm. of something Chairman Amalia Shatella once said, which is the thing about having your back up against the wall is you can't read the writing on the mm -hmm. wall, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. uh, exactly. One of the things that's different this time around, right, is the existence of the Uhuru Solidarity Movement mm -hmm. and the African People's Solidarity Committee. Yes. And I, I want to let people know that Penny Hess, chairwoman of the African People's Solidarity Committee, is okay. She is out of custody, and you know, so is so are all the movement members, mm -hmm. in, in, including Jesse Neville, chair of the Uhura Solidarity Movement, and both of these beloved comrades are regular contributors and co-hosts here on White Lies Shattered. They will be joining us again in an episode coming soon. But I wanted to report something uh, that happened that, that they relayed to me the other night, which was a mass Uhuru Solidarity Movement meeting that happened online where there was just this incredible outpouring 
of support mm -hmm. from the colonizer nation, mm -hmm. right? So and I, I wanted to ask you, Director Akile, to, to speak to that question of the colonizer nation's response to this, because I think it's, a, it's just a really interesting time when you have this organization of white solidarity mm -hmm. with black power there in the white community that it seems to me the white uh, colonizer nation is more fractured than mm -hmm. ever yes. so what, what is the significance of that yeah I you know when I was saying that our struggle is not the same you know I was uh alluding to this uh in this strategy of the African People Solidarity Committee in the in its mass organization the Uhuru Solidarity Movement and you know when the chairman put put forward this strategy and implemented it and I want to say too that that we came under serious attack during that time mm -hmm. when we had the audacity to do something like that to one uh, be able to explain white people as people that are motivated by material interests just like everybody else just like the rest of the rest of people are and this was something that you were you just were not supposed to do and um, you know so we went up against a lot went up against a lot of attacks slander still do around this you know the white people question and everything. Um, but in the 1960s, when the Black Revolution was under attack, you had a situation where, you know, uh, the white allies, you know, they abandoned that struggle. As soon as we were encircled, they abandoned it. And with them, because all the resources are hoarded in the white community, so did the resources. So the resources of the Black Revolution dried up. And also, you know, this, this additional defense, the security of the Black Revolution also was impacted because the, you know, the, the white population who had previously supported on their own terms the black power movement, they left. And they got regular jobs, you know, and they became regular people. Um, and there wasn't a basis or an organizational structure that could facilitate a principled relationship where white people worked under the leadership. They didn't set the terms for anything, and but had the ability to unite with the anti-colonial struggle under the terms and leadership of the African working class. And that op opportunity didn't present itself until 1976 when the chairman you know, develop the African People's Solidarity Committee. And so now there is an organizational structure, one, and a, of, uh, and a basis for a principled relationship with white people. And it's not based on what, you know, how we feel about white people or anything like that, but it's based on white people being able to come to the same conclusions that this system is rotten to its core, it has no redeeming qualities, and at the end of the day, it is not sustainable. And that if there is going to be a future of humanity, that this system has to go. And so white people have the ability to unite with the African revolution, which is going to be responsible and is responsible for this crisis and the overall destruction of this system. White people have the ability to unite with that struggle under, you know, on our terms, under our leadership. And that, you know, the primary uh, objective or one of the primary tasks of APSC and USM would be to go get the resources, to turn over the stolen resources to the African revolution, to get reparations to African people for all the stolen labor and resources that have been pulled from our community, that are pulled from it today, to turn those resources over. And whether they be money, whether they be skills, whatever, turn it over to the African revolution. That's not something we had the benefit of um, during the 1960s. And so, um, you know, that's that's a really important aspect in it. You know, the Hur Solidarity Movement and APSC that uh, currently exist in over 130 cities in this country alone, you know, represents this buffer between the African revolution. And, you know, I often think about how 
um, you know, uh, I don't know if this is something they do today, but back in the day, uh, if you like for shop, you know, if you were shoplifting or whatever, they had these people in the, the mall that posed as shoppers, but they were actually cops. And um, I think about the solidarity movement in a similar fashion where we deploy these forces under our leadership, you know, into the white community. And so, you know, you have the ruling class, the, the colonial ruling class. Um, expecting that these forces, they work for them. These are their forces, and the whole time they're our forces. We deployed, you know, the, these forces in strategic places inside the belly of the beast to carry out, you know, uh, the functions of the African Revolution. So um, this has created, you know, uh, uh, a serious ideological rift, um, and that usually binds the white community and 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 states what their identity is because mm-hmm. white people have known themselves as this person as you know uh this special thing this being you know that was you know able to obtain everything that it has because they're thriftier they're smarter you know they're stronger or however else it's characterized itself and so um you know african internationalism in the white community has been able to dispel all those myths and also win other white people uh to this as well um, in you know, in the hundreds, and and then it'll be thousands and millions um, of white people who are able to unite uh, with the African Revolution. So uh, yeah, and then I mean, and, and of course there are other iterations of this fracturing uh, uh, in the white community. That January sixth being the one of the great you know great examples of that. So right, right, and I think there's like there's two sides of that. I was wondering if if you wanted to just touch on that because I, it's a really interesting time politically. The political mm-hmm. landscape is shifting so rapidly, you know, with George Floyd, with January 6th, and now with, with everything going on internationally and here with this attack on the African People's Socialist Party, it's interesting to see alliances kind of shifting mm-hmm. and the, the people that typically I, as, as an organizer, would would see the people I would expect to come out and support. It's not necessarily that mm-hmm. group, right? The, the liberals and progressives that are supporting. Right. We're sometimes seeing people who, who might have sympathy for January 6th mm-hmm. and, and, and that kind of thing uh, sympathizing with yeah. the African People's Socialist Party and, and wanting to lend support. What what would you say to that question of, of this fractured colonizer nation? And, and what, what do you think is the basis? Can you say a little mm-hmm. bit more of the basis for having unity with the African yeah. People's Socialist Party right now? Yeah. And to speak to that, I'll try to do this quickly. When we understand the, like, a mode of production and the, and the system it uh, generates, you know, you have a superstructure and you have these ideas. And mm-hmm. just like feudalism, Right when the ushering in of capitalism came in, the ideas of feudalism didn't work anymore. So there had to be a new set of ideas that supported and justified the existence of colonial capitalism. And now those same ideas, now that we're ushering in an entirely different system and doing away with this one, an entirely different set of ideas are being pushed forward, thrust forward. And although they haven't exactly achieved you know, overall unity yet, the point is that it's becoming increasingly clear that the explanations that the system has provided up to now, they don't satisfy reality. Mm-hmm. It's like you would almost feel insane because you see something else out of your window and then you read something else and it's not, it's not the same. So you have a situation where like 
white people who have understood their place in the world for so long as this and have all these expectations about what it is that they're supposed to be able to get just be, for the simple fact of being white, being the colonizer, and that's none of that is panning out. None of that is true. It's not coming to reality. You have white people who, you know, work for a living and, and live really hard lives and, you know, can't get access to the basic necessities to live, you know, almost sometimes mirroring conditions of Africans. You know, this is the situation that white people find themselves in now. They're, and then, you know, they have they experience some kind of state repression or something like that, you know, against them. So it's all these things that Africans have been going through for a very long time, for hundreds of years since we were first snatched here. And so now, you know, white people in the colonizer population begin to experience the same kind of, you know, uh, they get this blowback, you know, from the system itself. The, the one that they've benefited from so long, now it's not working for them. And there's nothing to explain that. Colonial capitalism can't explain this, but we can. African internationalism can explain why the colonizer population in this country and in various places around the world are experiencing this kind of blowback from the from this social system. We can explain that. And we can also provide an alternative, a, uh, an, an out, an escape from the sinking ship because there's nothing that this this the sinking ship can create you know can't produce this life it can't produce life without the colonizer and if the colonizer is getting i mean i'm mean, the colonized can't produce life without the colonized if the colonized is getting off the ship then it has no it's going down it's going down it's colonized jumped off the ship so now these white people who's still on the ship who going down with it you know they they don't want to live this life they don't they don't want a, a a future of despair so they you know take it into their own hands so you know, you have a situation now where the ideas and things like that are being shaped and shifted based on the ushering in of a totally new system that, you know, is going to be governed by African workers and, you know, co and co colonized forces of the world taking back our land, taking back our resources. Um, <clears throat> so I'm, I'm sorry, I kind of got off the point a little bit, but can you remind me of uh, exactly what your question was? No, no, I'm, yeah, no, I think you're very, we're just, just talking about the different political affiliations of people oh, yes, that can see their, yes, their yes. future with the party right now. Yes. Yeah. And and so uh, the thing about the solidarity movement and the, and the establishment of a principal relationship, the structure, organizational structure, the accountability to the African revolution is that you can't just claim I got solidarity with the black revolution. I'm a socialist. Nothing like that. You know, like there is a practical way in which that that is carried out. Mm -hmm. And you'll find a lot of white socialists. You'll find these leftists, these progressives, all these, you know, these people that you you thought would be the first ones to jump on an opportunity like this to support our movement. They'll be the first ones to to jump, you know, run and, and support the the colonial state, mm -hmm. and and this is because at at this point they have benefited from and they don't have an interest in in destroying this relationship they have as the colonizer. So they can be, you know, the the the, the militant, you know, whatever, po you know, political forces, etc. Um, you know that are that seem really progressive and things like that, but that doesn't actually require. But they don't. You know, they they don't haven't made it a thing, a requirement for themselves to actually materialize that in any way. Mm -hmm. And they don't have any intention on joining under the leadership of the African working class. And so you can, you know, you, and that's how you determine the, the validity of these forces, whether or not yeah. that they can do something like that. And, you know, I'll just, you know, I'll just make this note here that the progressive candidate here against uh, the ones that we were running, uh, Jesse Neville and myself, you know, the, uh, you know, these candidates, um, you know, the progressive candidate out of, uh, out of all of us that was projected out of all of us, I'll say, was this person, Rick Kreisman, the Democratic Party darling, Rick Kreisman was supposed to be the progressive mayor. And, you know, he sold, 
darn near every inch of the city out to you know big you know big developers and now people can't afford their rent you know like all of this you know the gentrification and all the assault that's made on our community he's supposed to be the progressive guy in the democratic party there were members of the democratic party during the election where they called me a domestic terrorist and you know what happens to people you call domestic terrorists you get the state on them you know, so these are the progressives who are actually fighting the progressive agenda for reparations to African people. So we say unity through reparations, give us back the dome and these things that can actually, you know, uh, improve the conditions and lives of black people and can improve, you know, the city at large. And we are called domestic terrorists. We are attacked by the so-called progressives, you know, so that this is important because progressive at this point is a meaningless word unless it's followed by under the leadership of the African working class in unity with African people's right to be free and self-determining, you know, and, and, and in support of reparations to African people. So if you can't fall in this category, then your solidarity is in question. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Wow. And Director Akili, I, I want to let people listening know that if they would like to hear more from you about this FBI attack, um, if, if, you, if you'd like to show your support for the African People's Socialist Party, for the Uhuru Movement, or even if you'd just like to hear more information, to learn more, that there is an event happening uh, tomorrow, that's Saturday, August 6th. It is at the Uhuru House, 1245 18th Avenue South at 2 p.m. here in St. Petersburg, and it's called Hands Off, the Uhuru Movement, and it features you uh, director Akile Anai. <laughs> so yeah, um, please, uh, if, if you, if you'd like more information, that's, that's a place that you can go. And, um, I am just so very happy that you were able to join us today, uh, for this important summation and, and response. Um, I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about the question of intimidation, mm -hmm. right, of terrorism. Mm -hmm. uh, do you think that was part of this, and how does the movement respond to that mm -hmm. kind of intimidation and terror, and how should the community respond? Mm -hmm. Well, I think that we should understand that this attack against the Uhuru movement is an attack on the black community, on the entire African nation, and that's really something that we have to get in our heads, that when we see that the leader of our party and our movement, Chairman Amalia Shatella, Deputy Chair Ona Zanea Shatella, and in our solidarity movement and our solidarity forces, when, when these comrades came under attack, that the government was attacking our right as African people to fight for our liberation, which is the only responsible and just thing for Africans to do. If we are colonized and we live in this situation on a daily basis where we can't look to look in our children's eyes and guarantee their future and say, yes, you will be okay because we don't know what will happen to them when they walk out of our doors, then it is our responsibility to fight for our liberation, to fight to end the conditions imposed on us that prevent, it from, from, prevent us from being able to live. Mm -hmm. So that is our responsibility and it, you know that is something that we have to do. And so when they attack this movement, they're attacking our ability to do that, uh, attempting to prevent us from doing that. And to remember that this movement is the movement that 
you know, has brought us all of this work, these institutions that we are sitting in right now, Black Power 96 Radio, the Burning Spear newspaper, our publications, you know, our um, African People's Education and Defense Fund and all of the work that comes out of the Black Power Blueprint in St. Louis, you know, I mean, the, the Doula Center, the One Africa, One Nation Farmers Market. I mean, you, these, this is the opportunity where Africans can come out, grow our own food and, you know, right in the middle of a food desert and sell and trade and all these kinds of things among ourselves and to give us some kind of uh, economy, some kind of economy in our community. And the government says, no, you can't have that. You can't exercise that because we intend to destroy the organization that's bringing all that to you because they don't intend to give it to you. In fact, they're the ones responsible for taking it all away. And every time we attempt to seize the power to be able to do it for ourselves, they take it from us. And so we have to understand that when they attack us, they are attempting to take away our ability to feed, clothe, and house ourselves on our own terms and not be dependent on this system, but to be able to do it, to be able to be self-determining. And, and when, we, when we can understand this, we can, you know, we can just be absolutely opposed to any kind of attacks. And, and, and intimidation and terror and all these kinds of things are, are tactics you know, of, of this government. But you know, one thing I want to make clear is that this is not the first time the party has ever come under attack. We were attacked militarily here in 1996 after they killed Tyron Lewis and they used every ounce of tear gas. They threw it in this building, tried to trap our leaders, tried to kill our leaders that night, trapping pregnant women, children, you know, families in this home. Where, I mean, in this center where we have our community meetings, you know, and they and they have 300 police officers from the city of St. Pete and surrounding, you know, uh, precincts and things like that descended on our community. But it was us who defeated them. We pushed them back. And it was them on their radio saying, you know, pull the troops back. We're under heavy fire because it was the organization politically you know it was the ideological uh influence of the african people's socialist party in that moment and the, and the african community was able to defend this movement and these institutions so just as they in, try to intimidate us and try to break us down and, and try to scare us into submission and all these kinds of things we have to remember that historically we have beat them and colonized people have beat them and we have won and we have pushed them back and we have made them def you know just have them with their hands up and we every time we can do that but we have to you know support these institutions take responsibility for them recognize our stake in them and not allow anybody 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 to take away our right and our ability to be able to you know to have self-determination in our own hands and to be able to fight for our own freedom. Anybody who gets in front of your way and says you cannot fight for your freedom, you got to fight them too. You know, you have to be just incensed at somebody trying to take that away from you. So when they touch us, they take that away from you. You have to say, absolutely not. This is my movement. This is my party. That's my chairman. Hands off. Uhuru. Uhuru, uhuru to that director Akile Anayi, the director of the Department of Agitation and Propaganda for the African People's Socialist Party. Thank you so much for joining us today. I want to thank you, station manager Eddie Maltzby, and ask you if you wouldn't mind starting to play us out with some optimistic music. And I want to thank everyone for tuning in to White Lies Shattered. We'll see you next time. You're listening to Black Power 96.3 WBPU LP, St. Petersburg.